Welcome to the Definitive Guide to Facebook's Performance 5. Now, this looks an awful lot like the Power 5, and to be fair, most of it is fairly remedial, and we've been talking about the core elements of this stuff here on this channel since its inception. These are things that hopefully aren't new, but if they are new, that's amazing because this is a great opportunity for you to go from a place of stress to a place of success, for you to reduce your amount of workload and increase the amount of scale and opportunity that you have. Um, we're gonna cover, first off, three big things that have been remedial. We've been talking about them for many, many, many years. And if you're not doing it, now's a great time to get started. And we're gonna close out with two other things that we haven't necessarily directly addressed here, but we absolutely should, including one thing that's gonna turn all those Facebook marketing expert calls that annoy the hell out of you into giant checks from Facebook for you to spend their money to scale your account, to show them what's working and what isn't. And I highly, highly recommend you do it because it'll also tremendously help your understanding what Facebook's doing for your entire environment. That being said, I know you could be literally anywhere in the world right now and you've chosen to be here and I wanna say first off for that, thank you. I'm gonna to try to respect your time and make sure that we use this time that we have together to be as helpful as possible. If you're watching on YouTube, please go ahead and subscribe, hit like, drop a comment down below letting me know the parts of the Power 5 or in this case now the Performance 5 that you really enjoy and any questions you might have. Also, go ahead and read the description. There's a great long article in there and you'll also find links to other resources like the Facebook Ads MBA program, which is my flagship training for CMO and business development, how I'm taking businesses that are no longer startup, but in scale up to exit, how we make that happen. You can also sign up for the newsletter, which is the shape of Disrupt to Come, and don't miss out on brand new opportunities like brand new courses from Disrupt to School and a lot of other great interviews and other resources. But that being said, let's get to it. So, Performance 5 is out. It's officially public, it's been public for a while. Now, some of us have been using these principles for many, many years. I was part of the Facebook Disruptor Group that initially put together what was called the Power Five, which was the big change when Facebook became an optimized CPM first environment, which basically made things like retargeting and interest groups and ABO completely obsolete and really paved the way for the new wave of success that everybody saw starting in 2018, 19, and 20. And why now? Facebook is honestly hasn't been this easy to make money and this low touch since maybe 2015, 2016. Like it is easier to scale a business on Facebook today than it may have ever been in your entire career. And I've been doing this for 10 years and it's extremely exciting. That being said, what are these three things that we want to get started with? The first one, basic account simplification. Let me do a bar none statement. If you are trying to solve a problem by making things more complicated, you're doing it the wrong way. I sadly still see people preach having three, four, five, 10, 20, 30 campaigns inside the Facebook ad account. This is never a good idea. I mean, I can think of the use cases where more than five campaigns where we weren't talking about Facebook case studies they were funding, which we'll get to later in a minute. Um, where those weren't the case, where that had any actual merit. Um, I still see a lot of folks talking about that this, we should be doing this. We should still be using audiences, like interest groups and lookalikes and retargeting and ABO. And to be honest, since 2018, we shouldn't have been. Performance 5 is a doubling down on why we shouldn't. 
And something we're going to touch on a little bit later also will let us prove that these things are a bad idea. So remember, account simplification. Keep it simple, keep it steady. That's how you scale. The point of Facebook and all growth and acquisition marketing is primarily to amplify the flow and the volume and the quality of business coming into your funnel and business model. Figure out what the best investment for you, for you to be able to, what is the best type of attention that you are going to be able to monetize with confidence? And then how do we amplify that so that we can make the most amount of money with the fewest moving parts so that everything that happens after the click becomes much easier to do. Are you promoting five products? Why? Do you have 14 different audiences going? Why? Now you might say, well, because I get a better performance and all this stuff. How many different types of customers and how many different customer journeys and how many different types of products are you having to test landing pages for, creatives for, email flows for? What about inventory control? What about customer service? What about all of these other things that add cost? Just because the ROAS on Facebook is good doesn't mean it's a good idea for your business. And I can't tell you how many times I see people chasing this complication and short money route to getting the best ROAS so good that they go out of business because they forgot about cash flow and business development. And ultimately that means that they might make a buttload in Q4 and close up shop by February. Because ultimately you can be the best hunter in the world, but if you don't know how to farm, any time where you go three or four days without killing something, you're dead. That's not good. We've moved beyond that. You don't have to do that in Facebook anymore because ultimately Facebook has moved on from being a PPC platform that was making interest groups to hopefully grab Google advertisers by knocking off affinity models and affinity audiences. And we, we move past active like audiences with, with Facebook's lookalike. We don't need any of that anymore because every ad is making its own audience. And ultimately Facebook's machine learning builds on every penny that we spend. So the idea of having an overly complicated campaign is basically saying how much wasteful spend can I afford because my performance is good today and I don't care about being successful tomorrow. Other things we have in here is Cappy. If you don't have conversions API attached, that's tragic. You should get it done. If you don't know how to do it, pay somebody to do it. You need to make sure that you are passing back the highest quality and highest volume information to the system as you possibly can because Facebook is ultimately a machine learning platform. Every penny you spend on it makes the machine smarter. It's making decisions for you on a regular basis and doing the work that you tell it to do. Remember, Facebook is your employee. The ads manager is a middle management employee that you've trained. If you have to micromanage that ads manager and ultimately try to control everything that happened, at best, you are looking at data that you already know you can't trust, that is not up to date, that is incomplete, to make predictions on the future based on data points in the past in audiences that change constantly and ultimately make everything that you do after the click far more difficult. That's a terrible way. No place in business. When you actually line it up, that makes zero sense 
for anything that you would ever do in the real world, why are you doing it on Facebook? And part of that is making sure that the data that Facebook does see is as strong as possible. That is the Conversions API. That is Cappy. We've been preaching that since 2018. You absolutely need to get that installed. And I highly recommend not only do you have Cappy, but do offline conversions as well. Upload as much information as you can. Get the data set inside the platform to be as actionable as possible. Get it as much stuff. If you're doing lead gen, don't just pass back that a lead occurred. Pass back that a lead occurred. Oh, they opened up their email. Oh, they took a phone call. Oh, they booked a, uh, a booking call. Oh, they showed up to that call. Oh, they bought in. Oh, they got a subscription. Pass all that information back because those are all very valuable things for us to make decisions on. And the machine can use all of that information. If you're running it and you're saying, well, Facebook's only seeing some purchases and not seeing others. Remember, Facebook is seeing everything that you send them. If they're not seeing it, it's because you're not sending it to them. Also, they're probably not going to be able to show you everything because of privacy concerns, but you can go to the event match rate score inside of Facebook and make sure that it's as high as possible. I can tell you how many businesses I see struggle with their event match rate is like 40, 50%. If it's not at least an 80 or a 90, you're doing something tragically wrong. And that's a very big problem. Part of the simplistic ad account and Cappy is the learning phase. Now we've had a lot of debate over the learning phase over many, many years. If you know my opinion about it, it's that basically you should respect it outright. And back in the day, when you would get your account audited by Facebook, they would give you a score. If you are over 20% in the learning phase, that's a pretty big liability. Now, what does this actually mean for you? The learning phase is Facebook's way of saying, do we have statistical significance to deliver a consistent result with the assets that we have? If the answer is no, then that ad set is in learning. How much spend, what percentage of your daily budget is being spent to try to leverage assets that Facebook doesn't have confidence on delivering you a consistent result? Especially if Facebook's entire value to your business is the amplification of the volume and quality of a consistent type of user to deliver a business result that you are planning for weeks and months and years ahead on the results of. Like if, if you can't consistently control that information, then it's going to be bad for you. The more spend you have in the learning phase, the worse off you are. That's a very general statement, and it holds true about 90% of the time. There are obviously exceptions to the rule, short-term sales, all sorts of other stuff. But at the end of the day, understand that the percentage of money that you're currently spending that's in the learning phase is the percentage of money that you are playing the lottery with. That's not good for business. The other side of this is just creative diversity. Facebook has been saying this for years. I've been preaching to this for years. And I don't see any reason why folks still assume that, well, UGC works well for us. We're just going to get a bunch of UGC. Great. Who are you targeting? Only people that open that UGC content. What if I have my sound off? What if I don't watch videos? If I only want to look at the images, you'll never target me. What if you're only using images? What if I want to watch the video? The point is your ads are creating bespoke audiences for themselves. And you're going to hear a lot of the experts pontificate on why the diversity matters and they should be appealing to different people. And that makes sense. But really the reason is because every ad has an estimated action rate based on who that ad appeals to based on its own bespoke audience. If the ads that you have have an extremely high overlap of that bespoke audience, it's going to be very efficient 
but unable to reach any new people. And if they're all wildly different, you might reach a whole ton of people at a very low efficiency. Now, if you have any questions with that stuff, please ask, reply below, let me know what it is, tell your friends about this stuff, and sign up for the newsletter, because I think this will be really, really helpful for you. Next thing that I want to talk about, and this is a really big deal, is creator content. Now, back in the day, in 2016 and 2017, this was celebrity endorsements, and then it was influencer. We called it whitelisting. Um, if you go back, you'll, you'll find a great chat from 2018 at Shopify, where I basically lay out this whole plan. Shopify LA with Common Thread Collective, and at the time, Nick Shackelford and Savannah Sanchez were there. And I basically laid out the entire influencer whitelisting strategy that well, people have been selling and preaching for years um, as a question as to why they were doing a link click campaign instead of using chatbots. That's a whole other side note. The point here is you should be using content from creators beside yourself. People that make content unlike you. Now, remember, we talked about diversity in creative is very important. But it's not just that, well, we have some images, so let's do some video. It's also remembering that every ad makes its own bespoke audience. That means that if you're creating content, your target market, the people that actually see your ads, the target market that you're actually reaching is only the folks that respond to your type of messaging and the folks that are willing to respond to your page's content. Now, there's different thing, thoughts. At the end of the day, I don't really think that the page an ad comes from is the reason that somebody stops their thumb. I don't really think that the account name matters nearly as much, but what does matter is that account's relationship to Facebook. If an account is making highly engaging content and Facebook knows who responds positively to that content, then that content made by that account is going to have a higher quality bespoke audience per piece of content. Now that's gonna happen one, because maybe there's way more data points. Two, that might also be a highly curated style of, 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 uh, you know, of, of content. Like, for instance, BuzzFeed nailed this. Not only did they get so good at it, they made like little shows like the Try Guys and everything. So now anybody in that universe can promote something. And it's not just that the Try Guys are trying it. It's that if it's on brand for what they're doing, that user base has already been qualified in Facebook's algorithm as being receptive to that type of content from that page. And that gets you a much higher estimated action rate, which means you're gonna be paying far lower cost on the inventory and getting better placement in the algorithm. The big side of this that I don't see anybody ever talking about is, where do you actually show up on the feed? Is it 15 minutes into a doom scroll and hey, look, there's an impression. Or, is it, I go to my app and I hit open and then let's see, boom, what do I got? I got something, something, add. 
What's that at? Well, this one happens to be for Topo Chico. Somebody's Topo Chico. They got their meme game on point. Awesome. That's great. What that means is that Topo Chico ad, which is like the third or fourth piece of content, Topo Chico's almost overwhelmingly paying much lower for that inventory than the person that's 20 minutes into a doom scroll. Their CPMs are probably way less. And that impression is also far more impactful to me. It's the old school thinking of above the fold versus below the fold placement for advertising. Whitelisted creators that are on brand, that create content that people regularly engage with, if they also do a very good job, and this is an important deal when qualifying them, if they do a really good job of creating content that looks and feels the same, that attracts the same type of person, and you're able to tap into that customer avatar as being somebody that you want to reach with something that is something that they will respond positively to, then that ad is getting shown above the fold. It's a very different thing for, for instance, I did a Chris Jenner ad. We paid her $100,000. And then we took that ad and blasted it to everybody. Outside of Chris Jenner's own audiences, those ads didn't do well. Now, part of it was because it was Chris Jenner, but part of it was also because it was incredibly off-brand for her. And because it was off-brand, we were trying to show content that people didn't necessarily want to see to people that didn't engage with the type of content that we were showing them to sell a product that didn't relate to the identity and the data set that that account had curated for itself. We were doing, you know, mirror placement shakes. That wasn't a brand. And we failed. I, I still, to this day, that was in 2018, maybe. I don't know that we made our 100 grand back. Now, mind you, I've also done other deals where we paid somebody like $500 and made millions off of it. So this is a starting point. But the idea behind whitelisting is not just that you're getting other people to make creative. Yes, you're outsourcing the creative development. And yes, you're getting a lot of different looks and feels and stuff. But you're also tapping into the data that that account has, which has a lot of value in putting your thumb on the scale of estimated action rate. So you have to remember all of this stuff. Now, when you're doing whitelisting, and I don't see this talked about nearly enough, but make sure you get rights to that page so you can delete bad comments. And if you want to kind of jumpstart some stuff, you can always take that content and target fans of that page. Or if you really want to get sexy with it, you could find creators that are sort of friends or famous for the same reason. There was a period of time where I was doing a lot of influencer whitelisting back in 2017, 2018, 2019 with reality TV show stars. Now, I was doing something at the time with a lot of folks from Real Housewives. I generally had two or three housewives from every series, right? So I had some from New Jersey. We had some from Beverly Hills. We had one or two from Atlanta. The point was, if you watched that show, you were probably a fan of a couple of those people. And when I took every one of those individuals and I target their fans and their friends of fans, you start to see content all year long because as soon as that show went off the air, as soon as... Beverly Hills went up the air, I would launch the New Jersey one or, or, or the Manhattan one, whatever. You would start to see this overlapping storytelling 
of a bunch of creators where remember every ad creates its own bespoke audience and every page creates its own identity when the venn diagram of all of that user information has a very nice cross section you're going to be able to get great efficiencies when the cross section is maybe 50 50 but you're reaching a broad like group of individuals you might not get the same low cpa but you might be able to spend twice as much or 10 times as much so when you're getting into this stuff it's not just pick creators to make fun content yes you should do that and if you're getting people to make content for you go for it but if you're going to go the route of whitelisting influencers and celebrities which i highly recommend if you can afford it, and celebrities aren't that expensive. Especially if they're complimentary, you're going to get your money back. If it's on brand. But you have to be able to protect the brand and then force multiply those efforts with each other. The last thing I'll say about that is that you have to remember what type of customer are you ultimately building for yourself? We think of influencers as like, oh, they appeal to so-and-so and, oh, they've got this type of audience. What about you? Where is that cross-section complementary to you? And if you're going to reach out to new influencers, because you're using this idea of making creators and using their content, how are they complementary to what you're doing? And if they're not, if they're completely coincidental, if they're the exact same type of thing, maybe that's a great way of just outsourcing your own creative department. Or if they're completely off the wall and brand new, maybe that's a great way of grabbing new attention. And you'll probably be able to spend a lot, but you probably won't be able to see that thing come in at a massive efficiency gain over what you're currently doing. Which brings you to the point of trying to strategize efficiency versus scale. If you have any questions about this stuff, please don't forget to comment below. Sign up for the newsletter at newsletter.facebookdisruptor.com. If you really want to dive into it, mba.facebookdisruptor.com is everything that you're ever going to need to know. Now, the last thing that we're going to touch on this, and I teased it a little bit beforehand, so we're going to get right into it. Lift studies. Now, I've been doing lift studies with Facebook since maybe 2013. And I highly recommend that you do them. And we've talked about this a lot. Now, what's mentioned in the performance five is I'm like happy uh, conversion lift. It's great. This is basically saying, can we prove that showing people ads made a lift in sales? Now, let me pull back the curtain and let you know, the answer to that question is going to be yes. Not just because Facebook is doing the study, but just in general, you're advertising to a broad audience. Did that help awareness and growth for your business? Yes, that's Facebook's core business model. That's the, the best at the world at. Nothing has ever been greater than Facebook at doing that job at scale in the history of humanity ever. So what's the value? Well, there's a couple of things. One, the reports you get back from Facebook are incredibly detailed. And you're going to be able to understand where you have opportunity. Where are you strong? Where is your content delivered to? And ultimately, what can you do over the next three to six months, nine months, or year to start taking advantage of stuff? Now, mind you, this conversion lift study, this Cappy lift study, has no impact on your business if you're not simple. If you're still using audiences, this is basically useless. Because as soon as you change interest groups or your lookalike audience, 
or you try a different Shopify audience. Well, now that data set has completely changed. If you're going at broad, this is tremendously valuable. A conversion lift study against broad says, what can you do better to take advantage of this opportunity? If you're changing your audience, that study only worked for that ad set you just turned off three weeks ago because it, it is exhausted. Because your ability to get lucky against that inventory basically ran out. All the low-hanging fruit was gone. So you basically took that money, you made some money on it, and then you set it on fire and you went out to find the next thing to pillage and destroy. Because you're not actually building a business. You're getting the next short con to short con to short con to short con and still looking at Facebook as like, why is it getting more expensive? Why is it unstable? Why do I have to work more than a couple hours a week? Why am I not able to trust it? Why is all this other stuff? And you're investing in these solutions that have nothing to do with long-term benefit. Now, maybe there are reasons that you're doing that because you need short-term gains. Or maybe it's because there's a short little sale going on or because you have a brand new account and you don't feel like you've got enough budget to go broad. My argument to that would be, do you have enough budget to not set yourself up for success in the future? Like, are you at such a point of volume of revenue that you don't actually need to invest your money with the effort of making money? The answer might be yes. I've done that managing activision or progressive insurance or disney or mgm hotels or bringing trx to market or pursue laundry detergent to the united states yeah i've done that because their objectives weren't making money and to be fair there are brands out there using your interest groups that are willing to spend a million dollars a day just to get market research and on days we're like my audience isn't working well today it might be because there's 10 other people like me just dropping seven eight figures just trying to be like what does the audience say and now you've got to compete with me and i'm willing to pay 10 times as much as you are and i don't even need to make money so you've opened yourself up to this tremendously terrible data set and you're trying to make decisions off of it. now when we're looking at this conversion list study and i tease this before i'm going to get to it you used to be able to do this on your own. Now you need some help. You know all those phone calls you've been getting from really annoying salespeople from Facebook marketing experts? This is a great opportunity. Ask them for this conversion lift study. Better yet, ask them for a power lift study. And I haven't seen anyone talking about this. And I've been watching performance five videos since like May to see if anybody mentions it. Haven't heard it once. What's a power lift study? It's a brand lift plus conversion lift study to basically say, when we're advertising on Facebook, what's the overall lift to our brand awareness and sentiment? And then based on that, how much better is our conversions? On top of all of that stuff, what can we do to improve our ability to leverage that for monetization of that attention? Now that's great information. And if you're running broad and you're doing concept testing and you're trying to leverage a hero product to build LTV, this is tremendously valuable. If you're still using ABO and interest groups and prospecting and retargeting and all of this other stuff, this is good. It'll make you look great to your boss. Don't get me wrong. But it's not actionable. And it basically means you waste your time. And... I'm gonna done burying the lead. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna finish burying it. And here we go. This is what really matters. When you start doing conversion lift studies and 
power lift studies and brand lift studies. What is that actually doing? One, it's giving you tremendous information. Two, it's getting you involved with multiple, multiple departments at Facebook. It's getting you to be somebody who's leaned into the betterment of the platform. And if, as a result of you doing that study, you're able to increase spend, and you're able to invest more resources, and probably the reason you're improving spend and able to invest more resources because you're betting, you're making higher quality content, making better decisions, which ultimately gives a more desirable user experience to the Facebook user, which means they're able to retain consumer attention for longer and monetize that attention 10x against everybody else. They're, they're tapping into fractional banking because you as an advertiser, because you're able to spend more, that means that you are less of a liability to them because the reason you're able to spend more is because you're getting greater efficiency because you're doing a better job at treating Facebook with respect as your business partner. I know it's a convoluted way around it, but understand like that's basically what happens, right? Either you get short-term con wins, which you know there are plenty of folks that still think Facebook is Google in 2006 and they're out to get you and they don't have any respect for you and they're not in business with you at all and then complain about Facebook costs rising and the first thing they do when they tell you how to improve your account is we're gonna test audiences and we can do all this other stuff and you get great results in the lookalike or an interest group and then it kind of dies off and then maybe you need the next agency and then because you weren't abusing all of your clients and building data for a couple of months, they come in with a sale and then get more information then seasonality takes they're just on this flywheel of new agency every 40 you know four to six months and everybody does great out of the gate and then they shit the bed because nobody actually cares about you or you're doing better because you've gone to broad you've taken these insights into account and facebook sees that then what do they do they open up their wallet and say hey we have something else thanks to this powerlift study We've seen that it's grown. Now we would love for you to spend more. Would you do a dollar for dollar match on a 5,000 or $10,000 case study? Yeah, I'll do that. Now it might be a complete change in your business, but it's free money. And if you get a 50% return on it, you broke even. What happens when you start taking free money from Facebook and start working with their product and engineering and marketing teams? Well, you become somebody they go to all the time. And you extrapolate that out over a long period of time, and you're gonna start to see $10,000, $25,000, dollars $100,000 case studies with Facebook. I've seen brands go from, we don't trust Facebook, it's incredibly unstable, and they're out to get us, to we're getting $10,000 a month in case studies in a matter of like seven or eight months. What if you got six figures a year in supplemented spend and Facebook was working with you? How would that change your future? The path to making that happen is not ABO. The path to making that happen is not prospecting and retargeting campaign. The path to that happening is not having a testing campaign and a scaling campaign. The path to that is not testing a whole bunch of audiences and then trying to design, design content that works for that. No. The path to that is running a very simple account. And we've talked about it. All you need is literally one campaign with broad targeting and dynamic creatives to improve the effectiveness of that broad targeting. Where you've got Cappy installed, 
Convergence API. And you have a diversity in your creative where you are leveraging creators for you to bring you incrementality to your core business. And when those people call you and they're really annoying and all this stuff, those people that are trying to write you 10, $25,000 checks and they might not even know. And you're just saying yes to every single one of them. That's how you put your thumb on the scale. That is how you massively amp up your business. That's what separates the people that preach victim mentality as a business model, i.e. literally anybody talking about ABO or interest groups or retargeting or any of this other nonsense. And brings you into the other space of we're getting all of the things before Facebook makes it available. And we've got reps and we're spending a hundred thousand dollars a year or more of Facebook's money. And our business is doing really, really well. And it's a lot less work. At the end of the day, you have a choice and I'll leave you with this. You can do what Facebook asks you to do. The performance five is a modern adaptation of the power five. And I was there very specifically to test and evaluate how to make those things work. Me personally, advanced matching and CBO and dynamic ads. That's what I really helped push with a lot of case studies back in the day. And what do I preach all the time? Broad audiences, which leverages advanced matching. CBO because ABO is dumb. And dynamic ads, DCTs and DPAs. To a greater extent, more recently, Advantage Plus, and we'll get into that stuff here pretty soon. You can lean into all of that. Or you can say, Facebook is out to get me. At which point, why are you running it anyway? If you're going to spend money on Facebook, wouldn't it behoove you to start using it properly? Instead of saying that they are abusers that you're empowering with your pocketbook because you need to you don't need to you don't like it there's a lot of other places on the internet you can spend money facebook is very straightforward and they say how to use it in the best way and the honest truth is performance five is probably the third big blueprint that i've seen in the last 10 years where facebook says use it this way you're gonna be better off Overwhelmingly, the people that are very successful, and I'm not talking about the ad agencies that are spending other people's money that land a couple clients that don't need them that brag all the time. I'm talking about the brands that truly crush. Where you don't even really ever see the people behind the curtain because they're just doing really good jobs. They're all doing this stuff. What's the big secret between the eight-figure business working its way to a nine-figure exit and you struggling at six, even though you have the exact same everything? Maybe it's the way that you treat your business partner. Just something to think about. Uh, YouTube thinks you might like a couple of these things. Don't forget to subscribe, ask all the questions you ever have, and please do not forget to read down below in the article section. Sign up for the newsletter at newsletter.facebookdisruptor.com. And if you're ready to take your skill set and everything to the next level, mba.facebookdisruptor.com is there for you. And until next time, I'll see you on the internet. Bye.